Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Come with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, we have been in a discussion, in a series, if you will, on kingdom clarity. Amen. Kingdom clarity. You know, we need to have clarity in these last days. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, we have, uh, well, not last week, we were out last week. Pastor Caleb, man, did he not do an, a fantastic job? And you give it up for Pastor Caleb. So thankful for his gift to the body. And I, and I, I was hearing all week long from individuals of how much he stirred you up. Uh, in in light of the church, the role of the church, and then your role, finding your fit in the body of Christ. Amen. We always need that encouragement. And uh, we are so thankful for Pastor Caleb, Pastor Crystal, their gifts to the body, their entire family. You know, their daughter's up here singing with us. I mean, they've just been an example of what it is to commit yourselves and be faithful to the house of God. Amen. But we've been in a series of kingdom clarity. Uh, talking about this matter of deception, this matter of falling away, this matter of being seduced um, by something other than what God is pursuing and keeping our pursuits in alignment. And 1 Timothy chapter 4 says this in verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart, everyone say depart, Depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And here soon, if not next week, probably the week after that, we'll really be breaking down what are those doctrines of demons? What are those seducing spirits, those deceiving spirits? But in verse 2, it says that they end up speaking lies in hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And we've looked at this in several translations. The Amplified says it this way, but the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly declares. So again, notice that we've been highlighting the fact that when the Holy Spirit speaks, he speaks distinctly, he speaks clearly, uh, he speaks without a misunderstanding beyond a doubt. And I know a lot of times we want to categorize the Holy Spirit or even spiritual matters as kind of uh, mystical, mythical, um, you know, can you really know, kind of this ooh and awe sense. But I want you to know God wants his word to be clear to you. He wants his plan to be abundantly clear to you. He wants you to know his will, his way, his why, his word, his works. He wants you to understand all those with clarity. Now, not a lot of believers, we're talking about in the kingdom now, live with that kind of clarity. And so we need to address why. Because the Bible tells us here that the Holy Spirit speaks, and when he does, he speaks expressly, distinctly, clearly, uh, declaring that in latter times, some will turn away from the faith, giving attention to, that's a big factor, giving attention to, deluding 
and seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. I, I mean, you know, again, you read this and it's like, how could you fall away? Why would I be fall prey to a doctrine of demons, demonic doctrine? Why would I fall prey to seducing spirits? Well, they're seducing. They're luring. They're seductive in their attack, in their approach. It looks really good. I mean, let's just all go back to the garden again. How did we end up eating fruit from the one tree out of all the trees accessible? We end up eating the one, eating from the one tree we're commanded not to. How does this happen? Well, it's deception. It's a lack of clarity. It's what we entertain. It's what we listen to. It's what we tolerate. And so those are the things that we are addressing. He says in the Amplified, verse two, through the hypocrisy and pretensions of liars whose consciences are seared or cauterized, it says. The message reads this way. The spirit makes it clear that as time goes on, some are going to give up on the faith and chase after demonic illusions put forth by professional liars. These liars have lied so well and for so long that they've lost their capacity for truth. We've talked about that a little bit this year. If you don't keep alert to sound doctrine, eventually you won't even be able to receive or hear sound doctrine. You will only tolerate a, a, a doctrine that contradicts the word of God. And then in the Passion Translation, in verse one, the Holy Spirit has explicitly revealed, at the end of this age, many will depart from the true faith, one after another, devoting themselves. Listen to these, these words, devoting themselves to spirits of deception and following demon-inspired revelations and theories Hypocritical liars will deceive many and their conscience won't bother them at all. How do we get to this state of deception? How do we fall prey to this level? Well, we've talked about a couple of things. Number one, uh, in the first week, we identified um, that there's a difference between clarity and confusion. And when we start to live by confusion, when we start to live in a vague realm or we start to accept that things just can't be understood or I guess I just can't know, you are well on your way toward a path of confusion and the enemy always operates in confusion. Whatever God speaks, he desires to distort. He wants to pervert it. He wants to twist it. When you live in confusion, you are playing on the enemy's playing ground. You are on his field now. You're on his turf. Because this is what he wants to do is he wants to bring the questioning. Remember, we've said this before. In Genesis chapter three, you see the enemy asking a question, did God really say? But later on, after Adam and Eve have sinned, God shows back up and then he asks a question. Adam, where are you? But remember, the enemy will ask questions to hide the truth. God asks questions to reveal the truth. When God asks a question, he's trying to pull you closer to his heart and closer to truth. Why? Because it's the truth that will what? Make you 
free, set you free. But the enemy asks questions to challenge truth, to contradict truth, to put you in a posture of, well, did he? And not only are you questioning God's word, you're questioning his character. You're questioning his nature. You're questioning his motive. You're questioning his intentions for you. And so the enemy wants to conjure up these questions and we think it's virtuous and we think it's, oh, we should be asking questions. Yes, you should, but not with the heart that says, prove it to me. With the heart that says, Father, I just wanna know all that you have for me. If it's in your word, I wanna see it. If that's in your word, I wanna know it. And if I'm not there yet, please, by your Holy Spirit, help me get there to see and to know your word on the level that you want me to receive it at. But when we come in with these hypocritical attitudes, when we come in with the pharisaical uh, heart posture that says, you're gonna have to prove it to me. You know, the Pharisees even saw the mighty works, signs and wonders done right before them. And still, they, they said this, he's doing it by a demon. He must be doing those signs and wonders by an evil spirit. So even with the wrong heart, you can have all the demonstration you want. You can have all the signs and wonders you want. You can have all the truth laid out in front of you. But if your, part, if your heart posture is already from the word go saying, I'm not gonna believe it unless you're already set up for failure. And that's where the enemy wants you to live. That's where the enemy wants you to stay. That's where he wants you to dwell. And so we notice that this matter of confusion has to be addressed. In the second week, we took a look at the, the initial road. I don't even wanna say just the first road. It's really the main path that, that, that always leads to deception, and that is the path of pride. And we dealt with pride. We simply define pride like this. Pride is taking any other thought besides what God takes. It's having a thought that God does not have. That's pride. Now, typically, we identify pride uh, in a statement like what we see in Genesis chapter 3. I can do it without God. I can do this without God. I don't need God. But we saw another side of pride. We saw the hidden side of pride. The pride that says, I can't do this even with God. What we would uh, a lot of times refer to as humility, or thinking low of ourselves, thinking less of ourselves, thinking less than, uh, uh, uh. but again, it, it, if God has called you to something and you say, no, I can't do that, that's taking a thought that God does not have. And that's a position of pride. Insecurity is really just pride. It's, the, it's hidden pride. It looks virtuous and it looks acceptable. And most churches will actually allow you to live there. Most churches will promote that form of pride of thinking so low. Now, this, the opposite is not arrogance and saying, I can do it. I, obviously, that's not where we're trying to go. But when you carry a thought, take a thought, when God says, you can, you will, you shall, I've done this for you, I have this, this is what my word says, and you take a thought other than that, you've already accepted pride. And pride always goes before a what? A fall. 
Remember this, that the pride was not the result of the fall. The fall was the result of pride. Pride existed in a perfect environment. As long as there has been truth, there's been deception. And we didn't even need sin to have pride. We didn't even need to have sin to have, a de- to have deception. We didn't even need to have someone initially violate God's command and rebel against his word and take a bite of that fruit. We didn't even need that for pride and deception to show up. Those things both existed in a perfect environment where man had not even sinned yet. So if we think in these last days, obviously the Holy Spirit makes it clear, right? That in the last days, many will depart, many will fall away. If we think that we're gonna be able to avoid this, understand that the the departing from the faith and the great falling away, there's no avoiding that. But there is a way for you to endure it. There is a way for you to not be a part of that group. Anybody with me, I don't want to be a part of the, de- the, the departing group, the falling away group. I don't want to be a part of that group. <clears throat> and I think most people would answer and say, that's not what I want to be a part of. But yet it says many will fall away. Many will fall prey to deception. Many will fall prey. And so we have to be able to address these things. Today, I want to address the matter of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Because I believe that this, once we deal with the pride issue, once we get that out of the way, one of the greatest ways that you can avoid being part of the group that is departing or falling away is by being strong and grown up spiritually. Spiritual growth spiritual development, spiritual maturity. There's not a lot that's talked a lot. uh, uh, This is not a subject that is touched on a lot in churches. And again, um, you know, our American culture, I I do want to make this clear before I move on. I want to make this clear. These verses let us know that in the last days, it's going to grow more and more difficult to maintain the standard of the word of God. We need to understand this. I'm not trying to be a downer today. Maybe the summertime wasn't the best time to pull out a, a, a series on deception. Maybe I should have saved that for the winter time or the rainy season. But, you know, we're going with it. Because you can do it. You can stand for righteousness in a world that's becoming more and more depraved daily. But notice that we're not even just talking about standing against the world. We're talking about standing against those that have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. We're talking about having to uh, be a part of a group that will not simply fall away, being uh, uh, remaining in a group that will remain steadfast, as we talked about, saying about this morning, being not moved, unshaken. 
And you're gonna find that even a lot of what you believe of the word of God, many others will not agree with, will not accept, will not tolerate. We haven't even gotten into the verses about itching ears. They won't even endure sound doctrine any longer, but because they have itching ears, they want their uh, hearing in their ears and their senses tickled. They're always searching for the newest thing that's coming out, and we see that taking place today. It's gonna take some resolve within you in these last days to remain steadfast on God's word. And don't just think that all of your resistance and opposition that you're gonna face in life is gonna come from people in the world that don't even believe in God. Some of your greatest opposition is gonna come from people sitting right next to you possibly that you used to go to church with or used to be friends with or used to be in alignment with. And this doesn't mean that you're gonna sever friendships and relationships, but you are gonna recognize, you know, we're not quite walking the same path. We, we're not quite pursuing the same things spiritually. And, and, and I have had to make this, I've come to this fork in the road many times in my life with friendships or people that I grew up with or people even in ministry that I've done ministry with, that you know what, at some point, the, 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 the roads just kind of veered in different directions. It's not a right and wrong thing, but we're just not pursuing the, and you'll find that the spiritual element is going to play a part. And there, you will come to a place where no more compromise can take place if we're gonna run together. And again, people don't like this kind of talk in the church because we're supposed to be all loving and all accepting, but Jesus talked this way. Jesus talked this way. Paul commends us uh, uh, it, uh, later on in, in 2 Timothy. He actually lets us know, hey, there's gonna be certain individuals you can't even associate with. He lets them know. And you're not talking about worldly people. Obviously, we need to have association with the world. How are we gonna win them if we can't be around them? But can you be around them without becoming them? That's the question when it comes to the world. Don't tell me you gotta go to the bar and throw back a few with them to win them. It's not working. They're winning you. <laughs> They're winning you. You're losing that battle. But Jesus did it, didn't he? Hung out with had dinner with, went to homes with unbelievers, sinners. But that's when your influence is so strong that it wears off on them and they have to become what you're a part of. But now I'm talking about in the church. We take our church friendships and we take our church associations and we take a, we, who, who we run with and sometimes we're a little too loose with that. Sometimes we're a little too, and you gotta recognize my spiritual aspirations and my spiritual growth and my spiritual development and my spiritual walk is going in this direction and we're not quite joined up there. So our association's just looking a little different now. Our conversation is looking a little different now. Our, our, our focuses are not the same. It might be people you've done business with. It might be people you've hung out with. It might be family. You've done family stuff together, but you'll just find, and that's okay. That's okay. It's for the cause of Christ. It's for the cause of Christ. I hope you hear me on that today. Keep your resolve. 
Keep your resolve. And God knows how to restore. I said, God knows how to restore. God knows how to redeem. If you think what you're giving up, God can't replace, God can't bring, no matter how close, no matter how much it meant to you, God can't bring that back into your life. You don't know God. He can absolutely. You know, Paul in in Philippians wrote, I have no one like-minded except for Timothy. Out of all the people he ministered to, and apparently it was enough that what the, the gift that was in Timothy was enough to replace all that he had lost. And anybody else that he had mentored, any other relationship and people that he had done ministry with, people that he had run with, people that he had believed in and and they believed in him. And apparently there was enough in Timothy that supplied, that he wrote two books to Timothy, raising him up as a leader, says, look, if that's all I've got, I'm gonna pour everything I have into all I have. And you're gonna carry on this mission and you're gonna be enough to supply to me what I need and to carry on this mission beyond me. God knows how to redeem and restore even what you have lost for the sake of the kingdom. He sure does. It's always worth it to press on with his mission. Go to Hebrews chapter five. Today, I wanna see how this lack of spiritual growth can affect our ability to walk in kingdom clarity. But if we will address spiritual growth, you will find yourself avoiding deception. It really, if you wanted to break it down, Remaining spiritually mature or pursuing spiritual maturity could be the key way of keeping yourself free from deception. In Hebrews chapter five and verse 11, the writer says this, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So we're talking about how you receive what? We're the receiving the word of God. We're not talking about their physical sense of hearing is becoming dull and they need to get their hearing checked. We're talking about their spiritual ears and their spiritual eyes, their capacity to spiritually see by the Spirit, their capacity to spiritually hear by the Spirit. Remember in Matthew chapter 13, that's kind of been the foundation parable for all of this when Jesus gave the parable of the different types of soil, the parable of the sower. And he said, to him who has been given, to him who has, more will be given. To him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. How do you become dull of hearing? Because you stop tolerating truth. And when you stop tolerating truth, you eventually lose the capacity for truth altogether. So he's saying, there's much more we wanna give you. There's much more we wanna share. There's much more we wanna reveal. There's much more God wants to say. There's much more that we want to be clear on, but I can't get any clearer and I can't share any deeper and I can't go any further with you because you have grown dull in your hearing. 
It's not because Paul can't explain it. It's because they can't receive it. Verse 12 says, for though by this time, so now he's talking about a measurement of time. We don't know what that measurement is, and that measurement isn't strictly a, a, a year or a month or a, a, a chronological time, but the time, the time is spiritual teachers. You need someone to teach you again. So what is he saying? In the matter of time, whatever that measurement is, whatever he is, this writer is able to say clearly, he's not guessing. He's able to clearly say, by this time, you ought to be at this level. You ought to be a teacher. Meaning, not are you only in a position of receiving, but you should also be in a position of giving. So whatever that time frame is, he says, you ought to be. That communicates expectation. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. What again is he talking about? He's talking about the word of God. The word of God, when we initially receive it as born-again believers, newborn babes in Christ, the word is received as the milk of the word, likening it unto a child. When they come into this world, they are not chewing on filet mignon. They're not ordering surf and turf. Come on. They're not doing a, a you know, double burger with cheese and, all the time, what are they doing as a baby? All across the board, common denominator, as a baby, you are partaking of milk, period. Because that's all they can tolerate. That's not looking down on them. Oh, poor little baby. Why is this baby only drinking milk? What's the problem here? No, nobody asks those questions at that stage. But then as you grow and as you develop, you ought to be increasing your palate and increasing your appetite and increasing the way that you can receive and the more that you can receive. It's just part of development. Well, it's the same spiritually. He says, initially, you were needing milk and not solid food, but he says, you are still needing milk, which means what? In that time frame we just mentioned, we did not do what was necessary to progress and move on from the milk of the word to the meat of the word, to the solid food of the word. So he's identifying with them the growth that we should have seen, expected to see, ought to have seen. We're not seeing it. It sounds very familiar to when Paul wrote to the, first, uh, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter three, and he said the same thing, that I must speak to you as carnal people, not as spiritual. Y'all remember that in 1 Corinthians three, verse one through three, one, two, and three? He communicates the same thing. Many people believe that Hebrew, Hebrews was written by Paul, a lot of the same language and a lot of the same structure. And he's given the same expectation. In a time frame, what is that measurement of time? In a time frame, 
you should, you should have been able to progress to this. We should be, Paul, I should be able to communicate, share, reveal to you on a different level, but I've come back and you're still not able to progress beyond the milk of the word. You're still children or babes in Christ. In 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses, Paul identifies and says uh, that where there is lying and there is stealing and there is gossiping and there's backbiting, there's envying. You know, you got a, a group over here that says we are the Paul group and then I got a, another group over here that says I'm the Apollos group and I got another group over here that says no, we're the Jesus Christ group. You, you, you've sectored off in this church, you've splintered away from one another. You're not valuing unity among the brethren. This was all the fruit revealing, I can't go any deeper with you. I can't go any further with you. You know, it's always good to go back to the foundations of scripture. It's always good to cover the elementary principles of the word of God. It's always good to uh, revitalize and recite and, and rehearse and renew your mind in those things. But if you ever wonder why I can't get beyond a certain subject, I'm bound by the word of God to not go any further until the practice of the church reveals that we can go further. I can't preach meat when the people need milk. And the same goes on the other side. I should not remain in milk when the church is ready for the meat of the word. And so for us as communicators, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, uh, the, the, these, these authors, uh, Peter said the same thing. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word of God. Peter said that. They recognized that I can't go to a certain level, share to a, so we're talking about clarity and we're recognizing maybe I'm not getting clarity because I'm not valuing maturity, development, growth. Growth brings clarity. Spiritual growth uh, allows me to add to where I am today. But if, look, we, we do this in schools, don't we? If you don't pass the second grade, you're not going to the third grade. There are things you're gonna need from second grade in third grade to build on that, to go any further. I can't go to multiplication until we have dialed in addition. Right? It's all structured. It's all built on itself, or at least it should be. I eventually just quit taking math. My senior year, I said, it's an option? We ain't going there. Trigger what? Calcul calculus? Oh, like you get to use a calculator? Oh, no, you can't use it. Oh, no, I'm not a human calculator. I use a calculator to play snake on my TI-83. Come on, a few people know what I'm talking about right now. That's what I did on a TI-83. That was an expensive snake game. <laughs> That's about all that that did for me. Why? Because it builds. If I didn't get what I needed 
in Algebra 1, I can't go on to Algebra 2. If I didn't get in geometry, I can't move on to... So we've got to monitor this growth, this development, because it affects what we can receive. It affects what I can hear. He goes on to say there in in Hebrews uh, chapter 5, verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. Everyone say unskilled. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. Apparently, the word of righteousness can become a skill. You can get good at what uh, Paul also wrote to Timothy, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, guess what? If I can rightly divide the word, I can wrongly divide the word. Huh? And then we end up with doctrines of demons, familiar spirits, Seducing spirits, a lot of stuff that sounds good. We're not talking about doctrines that just take a hard 90 or a 180 and just bend away. We're talking about lacing it with impure. You know, if you take a little bit of impurity and put it in something pure, it becomes impure. It does, you don't have to change it drastically. I think they measure diamonds this way in their purity. Is that correct? Somebody help me out with that. They measure it by purity. How little of toxins and and, and things are are in that to, to make it the purest form possible. And I don't want a gospel that's laced with a little bit of lies and a little bit of, I don't know, and a little bit of doctrines of demons and a little bit of seducing spirits. I want a completely pure gospel, only what God intended, no more, no less. I don't need to add to it and I don't need to take away from it. But he says, milk is for those who are not yet skilled in the word of God of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Everyone say full age. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. So now he defines what this maturity looks like. That's full age. Full age is you've reached maturity. Now, you don't ever stop growing in the kingdom. We don't ever age out of this thing. You don't ever reach a maximum level of maturity. Part of it is because every single day, you have to choose to die to immaturity. Every single day. Every single day, I have to die daily. I have to die to my will, die to my agenda, die to my interests, die to my way of doing things. I have to lay that down. I have to sacrifice that on the altar, and then I do my day, and I'm sacrificing. And sometimes I'm having to sacrifice more in some days than I am in other days. Anybody with me? Sometimes that thing wants to come down off the cross at 2 p.m., And I got to get that thing and nail that thing back up on the cross again, crucifying the flesh. But I promise you the next day, you're going to do it all over again. And it's a daily walk. It's a spiritual walk. Does it get easier? Sure. But you're never going to grow out of it. You're never going to eliminate the need to have to die today. You could walk with the Lord for 100 years straight and on the 101st year, choose you know what, I'm gonna do it my way this time. 
I'm gonna do my plan. I'm gonna live selfishly. No, it's a daily, it's a daily issue. But then the other side of that, why we will never age out or, or end the maturing process is because you're never gonna come to the end of all that God wants to show you and do through you. It's never ending on this side of heaven. It's never ending. I mean, guys, we weren't intended to leave this planet. And the first ones that lived on this planet, some of them lived 900 plus years on this planet, still discovering who God is and what he had for them. You're never gonna exhaust it. Not in the 120 that were promised and many aren't making it there. No, you're gonna continue to grow. It ought to be a daily continual desire. Today, Father, I wanna grow further and closer than I was yesterday. 24 hours at a time, one day at a time, I'm pressing in deeper today than I was yesterday. Because he says, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use, everyone say use, they have their senses exercised. Everyone say exercised to discern both good and evil. Recognize that the maturing or the mature believer, there are actions, application, there is outward fruit representing and revealing a level of growth. He says by reason of use, that means this is in practice. I mean, how do you get good at something? Do it. And do it often. It means you get good at this thing. Some, some people were really good at sinning. And they practiced it. And they got really good at it. Come on. You're looking at me. Just look straight ahead. Don't look, don't look to your left or to your right. No, in the world, we were practiced sinners. But now in the kingdom, we get to alter that by practicing kingdom things, practicing the kingdom life. And so by the reason of our use and by having our senses exercised, what does that mean? That means Discipline, that means a regimen. That means this is something that is a daily, this is not something that we visit often or, or ir, with irregularity. This is not something that we just touch on every, this is something that is put into practice in our lives. He says, that is who the solid food is for. That our senses need to be exercised to discern. Discernment is the antidote for deception. I'll say it again, discernment is the antidote to deception. Discernment is how you avoid deception. Discernment helps you understand the difference between two things. Discernment is able to distinguish, tell the difference between. And notice he says that we need our senses exercised to discern good and evil. You think that would be basic common knowledge. We're born knowing the difference between good and evil. But yet he says, when it comes to spiritual matters, if you're not careful, you won't be able to tell the two apart. 
You'll look at good, good and evil side by side and say, no, I, don't, I just don't, I don't know. And we end up with doctrines of demons. We fall prey to seducing spirits. Because they don't take evil and say, this is evil and this is good. Don't choose the good, only choose the evil. They don't do that. They lace the good with evil. Oh, we're seeing this mess go on right now with this idea that we have to love and accept everybody and everything they're in. Because God is love. I mean, I, I, I have had conversations with pastors that say, well, how, how could you tell them to leave? Or, or how, could you, how, how could you tell them that they need to change their lifestyle? God loves them the way that they are. Doctrines of demons. And you use scripture to found it upon and it sounds good and it pulls at the emotional heartstrings and how could you be so hateful and how could you be so hurtful And we've got a church that is loving people right into hell. And then they're gonna wonder, why didn't you give me the truth? If you knew the truth, why didn't you give me the truth? I'm burning up down here. I'm gonna spend eternity like this. And you couldn't share the truth with me? You knew the truth, you knew the way out, you knew the path, you knew what I was doing was wrong, and you were worried about my feelings? You were worried about me walking away or turning my back on you? You were worried about somebody censoring you or pulling you off the internet? You were worried about someone closing your doors? And now I have to live in eternity like this because you thought you were loving me. Huh? Doctrines of demons. So we gotta be able to know these things because good and evil side by side, we think that'd be easy to identify, but he says, you gotta have your senses discerned, exercise to discern. Train your senses to recognize good, evil. Meaning on the surface, it's gonna, it's gonna be glittery. It's gonna look good, sound good, smell good. But if you get underneath, you'll find out, mm, that's not the gospel. That's not truth. That ain't gonna work but without being a full age, being mature, having our senses exercised, we fall prey to deception. In the Amplified, it reads this way. Hebrews 5, verse 11. Concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain. Since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. You know what that tells me? That I need to be quick to hear the things of the Spirit. It shouldn't take me three or four or six or eight or 10 times. I don't need to be sluggish. Now, thank God, if it takes me a while to get there, thank God I get there. But I need to train myself to the next time, I need to be able to see that clearer. I need to be, I'll give you an example. Peter, when Jesus, for who knows how many times already, talks about his departure from the earth and he's gonna be handed over, he's gonna be crucified, he's gonna be killed, and he's gonna rise again on the third day. And Peter hears this just after announcing, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Five verses later, he says, I'll make sure that never happens to you. And Jesus says what? Get thee behind me. It's that quick, guys. 
He was quick to hear, that's the Messiah, the son of the living God. But then he was sluggish in, are you, are you talking about this again? I'm your, I, I will make sure no one hands you over. I will make sure you do not die. I will make sure you do not have to lay down your life. I will stand and defend you. And he still didn't even get it after being called Satan because he pulls his sword out in the garden. That's sluggish. That's slow. He says, you become dull, you become sluggish. It's taking you a, a, a long time to achieve spiritual insight. Verse 12, for even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you over again the very first principles of God's word. What's the answer if we're not progressing uh, uh, spiritual, uh, spiritually and developing in maturity as we ought to? Start back over. Get the basics down. Get the foundation down. Don't just move on. Don't just progress. Don't just listen to everything out there. Don't just start opening your ears. Why? Because now you'll get deceived. Without the right foundation, you don't have anything grounded. And you end up all over the place. There's a minister in the 90s that I grew up listening to powerful minister, had a great ministry, pastor to church, but in the early 2000s adopted this uh, doctrine called the doctrine of inclusion. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's the idea that everybody's going to heaven, no matter what. Because, and this is his simple reasoning. You can find him on YouTube. You can look it up. I won't give his name, but you can look, you can look it up. It won't be hard. His simple Conclusion was, how could a loving God send people to hell? Well, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. Simple answer. They chose by not choosing Jesus as Lord of your life, you are ultimately choosing the alternative. I just, I, I just couldn't see it. Well, there's no scripture for that. And I'm sure you're gonna scrounge up something to support, something pulled out of context to support that every single person that walks the planet is going to heaven no matter what, whether you pray the prayer or, or go to church or do anything. You're looking at me like, what? Go, you'll find it. That's the real thing. A doctrine of inclusion with followers. Because who wouldn't love that message? Who wouldn't love the idea that, I mean, I literally have to have no buy-in whatsoever? Any of you want to be in a marriage like that, by the way? You want to be in a relationship with someone with little to no buy-in whatsoever on their end? You've done everything and they have to do nothing. They automatically get everything. I don't think so. And neither does God. When he marries Jesus to his church, the bride of Christ, there's investment. There's buy-in. And it's not hard because we have a thing called grace. Grace empowers you to do the right thing, not covers up the wrong thing. So where I'm weak, he becomes strong. Then he gave you his Holy Spirit. I mean, he, he, he has given you more than enough to live an overcoming victorious life according to his word without having to alter it and dumb it down to what I think is acceptable. I don't need to do that. 
All right, so he says you need to teach them. You need to be taught over again. The first principles of God's word. You have come to need milk, not solid food, for everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness, of conformity to the divine will in purpose, thought, and action. For he is a mere infant, not able to talk yet. But solid food is for full-grown men, for those whose senses and mental faculties are trained by practice to discriminate and distinguish between what is morally good and noble and what is evil and contrary either to divine or human law. Let's look at it one more time in the Passion Translation. Verse 11, we have much to say about this topic although it is difficult to explain because you have become too dull and sluggish to understand. For you should already be professors instructing others by now. But instead, you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You're like children still needing milk and not yet ready to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of of righteousness. Remember that the, when we read the word, we're not reading it to know something. We're reading it to know someone. You can be a studier of the word and not be any closer to the heart of the Father. It's possible. Because your intent was just to gain information and mental knowledge but your heart is no closer to the Father. You don't desire what he desires. You don't want what he wants for the same reason he wants it. And so it's just information. But solid food is for the mature whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters and they have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. We're talking about this matter of spiritual maturity as it pertains to kingdom clarity. And if you want to live with abundant revelation, if you want to live knowing the heart of the Father, if you want to, know, if you want to live knowing the will of the Father, the, the, what he desires, what he intends, what he purposes, being able to recognize in these days where many are departing from the faith and falling away, and they're not departing saying, I don't want any more of that. They're departing thinking they're still on the same path because it's seductive and it's deceptive. It's not deceptive if you know you're wrong. <laughs> That's the tough thing about deception is how do you tell a deceived person they're deceived? Well, we've got to train ourselves. We've got to grow up. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. 
I think we still got about two weeks to go. The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I want to stop right there because that verse right there in these last days, it sounds so far-fetched, doesn't it? I mean, it's easy to read that and be like, God, is that really obtainable? Can we really reach this? Can we really see the church in the last days? In the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, a perfect man, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And the answer is yes. It just may be a lot smaller than we think. Because if many are departing, some are staying, the ones that stay, staying with the gospel, I'm staying with the word and nothing else. I'm not falling prey to doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. And for that group, this is obtainable. This is what you will look like. You'll, be, you'll have the unity of the faith. You'll have the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, you'll reach this. Now, perfect man. It's not the word perfect like we think, perfect, never blow it, never miss it. Perfect in that word, that Greek word for perfect is this word, mature. It means you've been perfected. It means you've grown to maturity. You've grown to a level where there's application, there's results, there's, there's fruit coming from your life. You're not remaining immature. You're not remaining at an at a infant level, as an introductory level. I'm growing and I'm developing so that I don't fall prey, so I don't lead, get led down a path of seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And he says, look, if it's in his word, it must be possible. He would not tell us to aspire to be something that was unattainable. He would not put something in his word and say, this is the measure I want you to live by. Aha, just kidding, you can't ever reach that. But he goes on in verse 14. So if we reach the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, he says this, that we should no longer be what? Children. Now, I can be childlike, without being childish. Yes, we are to remain childlike in our heart, childlike in our faith, childlike in our belief, childlike in our trust, childlike in the kingdom. But being childish means I'm choosing not to grow. You ever met a childish adult? Huh? They throw fits and tantrums, or they always got to have their way, or they don't respond well to correction. Come on, they, they, the list goes on to the childish behaviors or childish ways. There's, there's no maturity about them. Their priorities are out of whack. I mean, you know, all these different things reveal. And he's saying, look, as, as a spiritual believer, 
Although we should remain childlike, we should not remain childish. We should no longer be children. What is a child? Tossed to and fro and carried about with what? Every wind of doctrine. And it does not even say every wind of false doctrine. It means it's the imagery of someone that's just floating from one thing to the next with no standard, no resolve, no vigilance, no, 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 no compass, no, this is the word and this is where I'm staying. It's just constantly floating around chasing every little thing that comes. And it's no wonder these individuals are talking about the last days because look at us in the last days. Look at the ease of access we have. Numerous podcasts and numerous YouTube. I mean, if you wanted to, you could fill your entire 24-hour period just hearing the gospel from 24 different people. But he says, you're just tossed about. It's the opposite of groundedness. It's the opposite of unshakable. It's the opposite of immovable. It's just tossed here and there, meaning you're not dictating it. The doctrine's dictating it. That all that someone has to do is present you with a new doctrine or a new way or a new idea and you're off on it. Children are tossed around to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. When you're being carried by a wind or let's use the water, when you're in the water and you're being carried by the water, you have no say. You have no say. At some point, your fight isn't even gonna work anymore. You're going wherever that current's taking you. And and it says this, every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Does that sound like deception to y'all? Does that sound, uh, let's just put it this way. This is easy for you. You'll know this. Does that sound like the Holy Spirit in clarity or does that sound like the cunning, seductive snake in the garden? Which one does that more partner with? Obviously the snake. Obviously the devil. Living in confusion. There will literally be people that will promote doctrines that only offer confusion and they'll still be luring and they'll still be seductive, but they won't be able to give you any answers. They won't be able to substantiate anything. They won't be able to base anything. It won't be spoken clearly. It'll be off in la-la land. You need to go back to the first week we talked and talk about the five uh, symptoms of deception. These individuals live in a vague world. They can't substantiate anything. And that's why my number one uh, point in the symptoms of deception is they have very little value, if any value, for the word because eventually the word is not gonna support their belief anymore. They're gonna have to eliminate it and use their experience, use their stories, use their hurts and their pains. There are people today building doctrines off of church hurt. They've been hurt. They were offended. Maybe somebody in the church 
hurt them wrong, and so they've completely altered the context of Scripture. Now, there are those that are just straight up deconstructing and leaving the faith altogether. But I'm talking about those that will remain with some level of I live for God, but they alter it to affect and, and to, to compromise, to, to uh, allow, what's the word I'm looking for? for to, to, to allow their hurt and their offense to still grow. They'll tell you things like you don't need a pastor. They'll tell you things like you don't even need a local church. Start your own. A church in the house is the same thing as a church in this house. Yeah. It's all built out of bitterness and offense. And they're taking people with them. It's the cunning craftiness. It's the trickery of men and deceitful plotting. I tell you, let me, let me just cover this real quick. Church hurt is a real thing, but there's an answer for it. There's an answer for it. It's called forgiveness. Church hurt is like the allowable offense that most churches support. They allow people to live in church hurt. I, I, man, I, I saw this, this, I think it was this past week, the perfect example. He said, if you hear somebody jump on a piano and play a Beethoven song incorrectly or horribly, do you blame Beethoven? So if you see a Christian not represent Christ well, why do we blame Christ and his church? <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's a real thing. But you know what else is real? Forgiveness. You know what else is real is, God, I'm not gonna allow that individual to be a representation of you and your kingdom to me. Show me who you are. Help me find the right place. Help me find the right relationships. Help me find the right leaders. Help me find the people that I can believe in. Because pastors are falling left and right, I understand. But the pastor is still listed here in Ephesians chapter four as a gift to the body that you need for the equipping and the building up of yourself. You're not gonna find a pastor that has failed so horribly that it's gonna eradicate that scripture, Ephesians 4 verse 11. This is still God's plan. This is still Jesus's plan. He hasn't gone back and said, well, you know, I didn't see him getting that rough. They're sleeping around and they're bezeling money and they're building their own platforms and they're preaching whenever they want. You know what? Forget the whole pastor thing, bad idea. Just live your own life. Personal Lord and Savior. Personal Lord and Savior, there's nothing personal when he's called you to associate with the body of believers corporately, to submit under pastoral leadership and guidance within the house of God, and to give yourself to it. He goes on to say that every joint supplies, every joint. You are in here as a joint. And joints by nature connect one thing to another. That's what a joint does. And every joint supplies, he says. You're not saved to sit. Now, I don't need to go there. Pastor Caleb covered all that last week. You need to be active members of the body of Christ. How are we participating? How are we contributing? Absolutely. But he says this, that, the, that, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro 
by every wind of doctrine, the cunning craftiness, of deceitful plotting, the trickery of men. Let's look at it in the new, uh, nope, the Passion Translation. The Passion Translation. Let's get this thing wrapped up. Hallelujah. Verse 11. He has appointed some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, some with grace to be evangelists, some with grace to be pastors, some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God, and finally, we become one into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. Verse 14 says, then our immaturity will end. And we will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. Then immaturity will end. And you'll be able to discern and identify and know and distinguish between good and evil. Immaturity ends, and now I can see clearly that is not of God. That is not the gospel. That is not God's heart. That is not the heart of my Father. You'll be able to identify it. And you won't be counted in the group that's departing and falling away. You'll be among the group that is remaining vigilant with the course that God has set you on, the course that God wants his church on. So James chapter 1, let's wrap it up here. James chapter 1. So what's this maturity look like? We can sum it up right here in James chapter 1, verse 24, 21, I'm sorry. James 1, 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word That sounds a lot different than sluggish and dull of hearing, doesn't it? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In verse 22, and be doers of the word, not hearers only, watch this, deceiving yourselves. Some believers don't even need someone with deceptive messaging because they're busy deceiving themselves. I'm a hearer only, not a doer. I don't apply. I don't practice. I don't put into place. I don't allow the word of God to be distributed in my life and emulated in my life and become fruit in my life. The Amplified reads it this way. So get rid of all uncleanness, and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness, and in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome 
the word, which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, obey the message. And not merely listeners to it, betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth. Last one, in the voice translation. I really like how this worded it out. In the voice translation, verse 21. So walk out on your corrupt liaison with smut and depraved living and humbly welcome the word of truth that will blossom like the seed of salvation planted in your souls. Put the word into action. If you think hearing is what matters most, you are going to find you have been deceived. If some fail to do what God requires, it's as if they forget the word as soon as they hear it. One minute they look in the mirror and the next they forget who they are and what they look like. Sounds a lot like being tossed to and fro by every wind. However, it is possible to open your eyes and take in the beautiful, perfect truth found in God's law of liberty and live by it. If you pursue that path and actually do what God has commanded, then you will avoid the many distractions that lead to an amnesia of all true things, and you will be blessed. Worship team, if you'd come. We want to ensure that we do not become ensnared. We want to ensure that we do not fall prey. He says in the last days, because in the last days, more and more teachings and more and more doctrines and more and more ideologies and more and more beliefs are accepted as godly. You know, one thing I've had to kind of wrestle with really for the last three and a half years now, since 2020, I've always known this because we were assigned this when we came here. But it became extremely evident over the last several years that in our message and in what we preach, especially when you start ministering the kingdom, you're gonna find yourself going upstream a lot you're going to find yourself going against the grain a lot. And the people that get the most disrupted are the religious. The people that get the most challenged are the ones that have religious practice, have a form of godliness, but deny the power. And I would be honest, really, all the opposition that we have faced over 12 years as a ministry has been from people inside the church. People outside the church have actually given us more favor. I've called unbelievers and given, been given access. I've, uh, unbelievers have given us free things. Unbelievers have believed in our mission and our cause and they don't even personally know Christ. 
But when you start ministering in a certain direction and you start, really the honest thing is the things that you will not compromise on. The things that you won't bend on. It's the things that others uh, have allowed culture to interpret the word for them rather than letting Jesus interpret the word for them. And now I'm supposed to look like culture more than I am the kingdom. And we just won't do it. You recognize in these last days, the resolve and the vigilance it's gonna take to stand firm. What it's gonna take to remain the church of the living God. What it's gonna take to keep truth, truth, and absolute truth. And not a your truth, my truth, his church, his truth, her truth. Not bow to every whim and every fancy and every preference that comes along. It's gonna take maturity. It's gonna take maturity. Because immaturity will always send you in opposition to the word of God. It doesn't mean that you're abandoning him. It doesn't mean that you don't want to pursue him. But at the end of the day, if you're not wanting to grow and develop and mature in your walk with the Lord, if you're okay checking a box, if you're okay doing the religious practice, if you're okay just saying, you know, Jesus is my savior, but I don't think he's my Lord. If you're okay with these ideas and this level of uh, of living in Christianity, you're gonna find yourself going with the flow more than against the flow with the flow of the world and with the flow of culture and with the flow and and before long, you're gonna start talking like them and believing like them and sounding like them. There's a lot of believers have allowed the world to inform them of what the Bible says. This ought not be. But the vigilance and the resolve it's gonna take in these last days, it's gonna take a pure, I just wanna grow in the things of God. I just, I want to be as mature as I can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.